Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Why, hello there. It's your old pal, Sarah Silverman, and I'm back with a brand new season of the Sarah Silverman Podcast. On my podcast, I am talking about uh, everything politics. Yeah, we get into it. Favorite sandwich shop in L.A.? I know a few spots, and I'm going to tell you about them. I'm also going to be talking to you. I will be reacting and responding to listener voicemails in real time. Let me tell you, things can get weird, and I love every second of it. Weird is my comfort zone. The newest season of the Sarah Silverman Podcast is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Lemonada. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I'm Sorry, a podcast about apologies. I'm Oha Lopez. I'm a comedian, improviser, and producer in the Chicago, Illinois area, and I'm so excited to be here today. I can't wait to introduce you to my other co-hosts. Go ahead. I'm Kiki Moni, founder of The Talk of Shame and Crazy Cat Lady. And I am Mohanad Al-Sheikhi. I'm a comedian, writer, and I also have uh, 18 Olympic medals. It's incredible, Mohanad. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing. I only have one, and it's uh, being jealous of other women at, from ages 15 to 22. Oh, that is, very, is it gold or silver? But it, was gold, gold. it was gold, honey. It was gold. So what are we going to talk about on the show? What is this about? Uh, I think for me, it's about the ecosystem of apologies and mistakes inside of like the human mind. And uh, sorry, that sounded like a full guru line, but in my mind, I just think it's like something that we have to do all the time. And it's sort of like the, the bare end of, uh, of being a human person. And so I'm really interested in doing deep dives and figuring out if we can get into the psyche of these celebrities or politicians or just normal people who are doing hopefully their best, but we caught them on a terrible day. And then others, maybe not so much. Yeah. I mean, I want us to help solve the problem. Like you said, like we're just sort of spinning in the same cycle of I'm sorry's and what's the next step. So like, can we be a part of like, here's what the next step is. We can define it. Yeah. And basically what comes after all of this, you know, like, like, are we are we trying to get better people or are we trying to get people to disappear? Uh, which one are we in the business of or are we somewhere in the middle? 
So the idea is that we're going to break down these apologies, figure out whether or not the consequences were right, if they did the right thing, if they did it at the right time, and then just kind of talk amongst ourselves and learn. Because honestly, I'm a newbie. I don't really understand this world either. So hopefully it's more of an exploration and we can learn about it together. So Mahanid Kiki, I personally, or my relationship to apologies is that as a notorious bad child or bad kid, um, I was very good at offering apologies that I did not mean. And I had to truly grow out of that. In general, I think what makes me qualified is that I'm in the, in the realm of apologizes too much for things that aren't even my fault. So I would put me as a number one apologizer. Uh, what about you guys? I feel like I don't think that I have been apologized to enough. And so because of that, I've taken the last couple of years and sort of just like called people out because I feel like more people owe me apologies. Maybe not just me specifically, but like maybe my community. But in general, I just I just want to hear more. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm 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 kind of like the, in the middle between those two because I feel like I haven't uh, done enough apologies ever and the way i do it is i literally try and not do anything bad like i'm I'm too in my head about it to a point where it's just too much like something about me i always delete tweets like five minutes after i tweet them even if they have nothing in them I'm like i don't know i don't wanna if there's one percent chance i have to apologize for this I don't want it out there. And I think I'm trying to be more comfortable with just being owning up to stuff and being like, well, I'm I'm sorry I did this or I said that and just move on. I definitely agree with that. I think ultimately for me, apologies are I guess about the person that you're offering them to. It's about the the person on the receiving end versus the person who's giving them. And honestly, that's always a tough that's always a tough thing especially considering how hard it is to own up to your mistakes and how long it takes the human brain to not take that as like a blow to your ego, you know? I think yeah. that's like a like a big boat skill that not everybody has right off the bat. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, obviously, if you were raised by parents who like taught you to say, I'm sorry, like, you always knew like when to apologize. But like lately, with these apologies that are coming around, there is clearly a format because people are quick to say that apology wasn't right. But we were never taught in school, like, what is an appropriate apology? Like, you know, we learned a lot of things in English, like how to format a sentence, how to use a verb correctly. But I don't think I ever learned, like, the appropriate way to apologize. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Because, like, yeah, we, I mean, even when you're taught how to apologize, it's like, you just say the phrase, I am sorry. But now it's more like, and for what? did you Do you know what you did wrong? And <laughs> what are you going to do about it? And uh, there's a whole list that you have like to kind of like check. And I feel like a lot of people are, are like, well, I just apologize. I, I don't know what else you want from me. And I think, I mean, this is a conversation like worth having. Like, what do we expect from an apology? What makes a good apology? Is there like any anything that someone can do that is considered irredeemable basically like you cannot apologize for that and you have to do an action or you have to face like consequences instead and you can't just like put something in the notes app and be like okay this is done i'm good now yeah that's interesting it reminds me of like 
you know, penance. And when people go to prison and they pay kind of quote their debt to society, there's just a really kind of clear cut idea of like, this is what you did and these are the consequences. But what happens when you take away um, that sort of like justice system from a government perspective and you input in its place a system of people that are trying their best to hold each other accountable and the fact that sometimes it works, but sometimes it really doesn't. Like I keep telling myself, like, I think we're like in the Mesozoic era of treating people kindly, of treating women and children and people of color in a way that like makes sense for our, a more egalitarian society. And this is sort of like the growing pains of that. And I think having the conversation is so important because we're in the chaos. Like, I feel like I don't even know what I'm going to say on this podcast. <laughs> I'm like half afraid that I'm going to say something messed up and people are going to hate me for it. And I'm going to have to apologize. We all agree we're probably going to have to apologize for something that we say on the show yeah. for sure and i'm doing this in advance you know if, if yeah. i'm sorry for everything i'll ever I say preemptively <laughs> cancel myself at this moment yeah. for anything that i do whatever it is it i say even if it's good i'm, I'm sorry I, say, I did something good if that helps and yeah and because we're in this chaos and like we've become like the judge jury and executioner like we're just in this big pile right where everything filters into cancel culture and it reminds me of like you know how when you like show up to like your first day of, of college and you're in a group and they say like, look to your left and look to your right. Like one of these people will not be graduating with you. That's how I feel about cancel culture. I'm like, one of these people next to you will be canceled at some point. Like one out of every two person in the next 10 years for sure. Because exactly. it's every everything has become canceled because there is no just like from the I'm sorry to the cancel. It's all just become one collective. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's has to be said that we are not experts here we're literally just trying to figure out stuff and learn. So, yeah, please, please don't come at us with. Well, speak whatever. for yourself. I mean, speak for yourself. I feel very expert level. Well, you definitely one hundred percent. I I only know how to do Olympic sports, and that's it. <laughs> so, just to start us off, I want to talk today about Christine Diane Teigen. So, I don't know if you know this person, this woman, the celebrity, this beautiful model. So I think the reason I want to talk about her in particular, because I feel like she's kind of a microcosm of the entire sort of like um, idea of apologies. I want to talk about what she represents. And honestly, I kind of just want to know more about her. I was a big Chrissy Teigen fan. And I just thought she had something that I never had, which is like a comeback queen. A killer comeback is always something that like I I have truly appreciated my best friends and the people that I love the most have a very sharp tongue. And I'm more of like a carefully worded 500 word essay sent to you a week later. So that's <laughs> kind of my vibe. So what do you guys think about Chrissy and just kind of starting off that way? Well, I think, I mean, first of all, you know, we just, we talked about, you know, elementary school. If you want to learn how to do an apology, I feel like Chrissy Teigen will become the textbook, the face of the textbook for these future apologies, because she really is, when you think of like the I'm sorry's, I think she comes first to mind for everyone. I mean, I didn't know too much about her, like at the start, but through her tweets, I got to know her pretty well. And I didn't, I think it was after she was sort of doing the problematic stuff, but you know. Yeah. And I, and I think she's someone who uh, 
basically apologized in every format. Like she she did she did medium articles, she did tweets, she did note apps, and uh, I mean we'll talk about which one of these worked and which did not as we as we go on. But like you said, like textbook and apologies is just so many examples and consequences, comebacks, and she also demanded apologies from other people. And we're going to talk about how good these apologies were. I would love to kind of just start off with who she is as a person. And I, I was trying to kind of get some empathy going because kind of uh, here in 2021, I just didn't have a lot of that in me for Chrissy. And I was like, well, she's a full human person. So I want to kind of delve in and look at her background and just kind of see where she comes from. So just to kind of start off, this is going to be a half biography, half hot takes on why I think Chrissy Teigen is how she is, how her brain formed into this <laughs> thing that she created. So to start off, Christine Diane Teigen is an American, you guys, born in Delta, Utah. Good for her. I was not born in America, so good for you, Chrissy Teigen. You were already here. I had to get here. <laughs> um, it was complicated. <laughs> but... Um, she kind of spent most of her childhood moving around the country with her father, who was an electrician. So right off the bat, I'm like, okay, she's kind of a little bit salt of the earth, even though she's like mega hot, you know? Um, apparently, and this is one of my favorite Kashi Teigen facts, is that her parents operated a tavern called Porky's. Ooh. And I can already tell you right now that I love it. It's probably not open anymore, but I want to go in the past to Porky's. Wait, was it named um, after the movie or was the movie named after that place? Or neither? I think they're completely separate entities, but um, I'm very <laughs> glad that you brought that up because either way, I'm a fan. Either way. I just love the name. Yeah. I think you left out the most important part, though, Oha. She was born November 30th which means she's a Sagittarius. And Ugh. as a Sagittarius, if I had known this, this would have explained so much. I actually would have, <laughs> like, stopped the deep dive there because we're crazy. But, like, in the best possible way, like, we're loud. We can be tactless. But people love us, and so they accept it as part of our whole package until they don't. <laughs> What if, what if that's the whole episode, just being like, oh, she is that, and I guess, what else do you want to know, honestly? Like, go read about it. It's, it's, it is what it is. I mean, you have to forgive her. She has no control yeah. over this. I'm kind of like, I'm already on that train. I'm like, oh, I kind of forgive her already, but let's keep going because, yeah, it might not, yeah. So, I'm a Virgo, and honestly, you guys, I have no idea what that means. I don't know. People <laughs> tell me things, and I'm like, okay, that sounds right. That doesn't sound right. I'm thoroughly confused about astrology. Classic Virgo. Classic. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere and suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrushed are out now, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few, and of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. Okay, so Chrissy. Um, So basically her dad, uh, his name is Ron Teagan Sr., which again, a father named Ron is, again, just feeds into this Porky's thing even further. (laughs) Um, So according to this Vanity Fair article that I poured over, so Chrissy's mom and dad, they met in Thailand. And then after meeting them, Ron, her dad, brought Chrissy's mother and then an older half-sister back to his trailer in the United States. So he literally just grew up in a trailer. And then Chrissy was born in Delta, Utah. And then after that, uh, they relocated to Snohomish, Washington. And that's when they opened the, the Borky's Tavern. So, you know, as she's growing up, I'm getting this image of her just kind of like not really like maybe necessarily understanding her place in the U.S. and moving around and having like a really varied background. I mean, Mahanad, I think you're yeah. you and also Kiki have like very distinct backgrounds. What was it like kind of growing up for you guys sort of different or kind of othered, I guess? Well, I mean, I I mean, I didn't grow up here. I came here as like, right. you know, like I was I was 23 when I first came to the US. But I mean, I, I, I understand just being like in a place where, you know, people don't talk like you, they don't like, uh, you know, they don't look like you. And you also have to like figure out like where you belong in all of this. And I guess for her, like it was, you know, like being a woman of color, obviously, but also like traveling around. And, you know, like she has a mom from Thailand. Her dad is is, is from Norway. So I, I feel like even like her family is trying to figure out where they belong in this like whole like, you know, like country. So it's it's hard. But like even your family is just like, yeah, we also have no idea what we're doing. So I mean, I felt like I had the opposite because my family was in the same place their entire lives. And when they were growing up, mm-hmm. the area they were in was predominantly black. But then as it, the suburbs came, it became a predominantly white neighborhood, but my family still stayed. So when I came along, I was like the only black kid in my class, like through most of my like, you know, from elementary through high school. So the only black people I knew were really my family. So I, I definitely had a different time. Like fitting in was different for me. You know, my parents, you know, accepted all my friends and probably got used to like me even like, you know, liking white boys and all of those things. So I just had Good to fit for in. you, Kiki. <laughs> Good for you. Admitting that on air. Yeah. Wow, girl. Brave. I won't call you brave for too many things, but that one. You did it. You won. I'll give you one of my medals. Apologize right now. I'm sorry. You know they're coming for you. <laughs> they are. Yeah, I. To, to your point, I moved around a lot, too, when I first arrived. I think that's definitely something like 
uh, immigrant or like kind of again salt of the earth parents do is like you're you're trying to find where the best job is, where the best opportunity is. So it's interesting to me that later on again they move to California, and this is kind of where Chrissy gets sort of like her big break. So she's working in retail at a surf shop, which aka coolest bitch alive already. Um, if you worked in coffee or at a surf or skate shop, you had my full admiration. Oh, um, I was a barista. When I was a teenager. <gasps> Kiki! <laughs> yeah. I've never been a barista, but I've always admired. I always, uh, always been a fan. Uh, a lot of cafes, if that helps, <laughs> makes me cool. Yeah. No? Okay. No. But... I believe you. I believe in you. Thank you. Both of those things Thank are true. You. Um, for sure. And then, okay, so she's working at this retail surf shop on Main Street in Huntington Beach, mm-hmm. which I say that as if I've ever been there. Never been. I'm assuming it's a very picturesque Baywatch style, high-waisted bikini place at this point. 100%. Um, yeah. Full America. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just deep, deep America. And she basically gets discovered at age 18 when a photographer comes into the shop and asks to photograph her. But just as a heads up, um, I dreamt of being discovered as a teenager. Is this something that all people think? Yeah. Walking through the mall, I thought, like, of course, like, John Barbazon, where are you? Like, come find me. Yeah. I remember pouting while I was in the mall (laughs) and, like, this is some teenage shit where you're just like, you're like, people are watching me right now. This whole situation is about me. You definitely yeah. thought you were the main character, like, yeah, oh, for yeah. sure, in the mall. Yeah. That is 100%. what being a teenager, Yeah, that's what it is. Or being in the entertainment industry. I feel like that's me now. Like, I'm doing a show for two people in a bar. I'm like, hm, one of them works for <laughs> SNL. <laughs> this is it, Mahana. Yeah, come on, this Lauren, come on. You're here, I see you. Oh, my God. Okay, so... Again, with the whole getting discovered thing. So this is a really cute story and something that my dad would definitely not do, which is she gets this photography gig and the dad's like, I'm coming with you. I got to make sure that this is legit. My father had been like, good luck. I hope it works out for you. I hope you have great photo shoot. Oh, I get it. Very supportive, but not so protective. Um, <laughs> but I'm so glad that Ron that Ron had Chrissy's back, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something that I was reading just in terms of like herself at that time, which was really interesting. She gave an interview in 2014 for the daily beast. And this is kind of how she described herself. She said, just never thought I could do it myself. Really. I still have trouble calling myself a model. I just never thought I was tall enough or skinny enough. And it was the time of very thin, wafy runway models. And I knew I wasn't that. So she's landing this Be A Bong campaign. She's like kind of like coming up a little bit. And this whole time, she's just sort of like insecure as hell, um, dealing with a ton of issues when it comes to like doing daily weigh-ins for her career. She's explaining also in Glamour UK that just kind of the whole ecosystem of modeling agencies is you're getting measured constantly. And so she's doing it herself and she's having direct bookings with casting agents. And she said, quote, that she had been thrown off a job three times for her size. So by the time that she's like 22, and I'm I'm guessing this industry is just still a shit show, but at least we're talking about it slightly differently. Like this is a time when we weren't even discussing that at all. Mm-hmm. So it was just really interesting to me to 
think about what it's like to actually be discovered, and then basically just kind of get dragged for the next couple of years about not being thin enough. Mm -hmm. So I think it's something that probably is still affecting her. And I, I mean, it affects us all. For sure. I mean, I can remember every single time anyone has called me fat or, you know, said something like it to this day. I think about it. I'm like, if I run into that person, am I going to say something? You know, like I definitely you hold it. Yeah, it definitely still remains like the number one insult to call women to really like bring a bitch down. I'll tell you, the lesbians have been talking about it for forever. You guys, we've been talking about how great it is to be fat, but it's taking people some time to catch up, honey. Yes. I mean, yes, LGBTQ is usually always ahead of everyone else. So, you know, I always follow the lead. Yeah. So, yeah. So to kind of bring back to Chrissy. So she then gets a job as a deal or no deal briefcase girl as a substitute, not because she's first draft. She doesn't get picked first. They, they're they like, okay, we got the second supermodel in the wings. Bring her up. And what is he, I just thought of how terrifying Deal or No Deal is and how they have women models just open up briefcases with amounts of money. And we're all just like, well, she's hotter than this one. And I guess she's sort of like hotter than the other one. And um, like, what was your interpretation of Deal or No Deal? Because it, like looking back at it, I'm like, this is the stupidest thing <laughs> I've ever heard of in my life. It is It is truly, though, the most American thing you can see on TV. It's just everything that's wrong with this country just, like, in one place. <laughs> yeah, like, right. It's, it's like, how they treat, like how this country treats women, plus a lot of capitalism happening. People, like, literally have to, like, you know, like, mm, is there money here? No, it's still poor. Uh, it is just, like, whatever. I don't know what the show is exactly. I assume it's what I described. <laughs> Yeah. They yell That's at you and be like, you could have had a million dollar, but guess what? Still, student debt. You will never pay it. <laughs> I'm sure we the host give says it to that. You. Yeah. I should host it. Now I'm thinking about it. I think I give a lot of <laughs> incentives. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Looking back, all of these shows seem really crazy to me. Um, and I'm sure that there's a ton of shows right now that are going to seem insane to me in, you know, 10 years. But for now, I peacefully accept all of the sexism and homophobia that I have yet to recognize <laughs> yeah. inside of myself yeah. <laughs> and others. Okay, so she's a deal or no deal briefcase girl. Another uh, twist of fate, she's a crossover at the same time that Meghan Markle is a briefcase girl on Deal or No Deal. So both Meghan Markle and Chrissy Teigen are just legging it up, hanging out, showing off briefcases with millions of dollars in them. Can you imagine if she was the princess? Oh my God, oh my God, Kiki, this timeline you have presented is blowing my mind. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I mean, <sighs> we know that Megan like was hooked up, you know, with Harry by like a friend and I'm sure it's a friend that probably Chrissy knew too. So I know I'm just saying. I think it would be very funny in that, if, in that timeline, if the, if like Chrissy just like stopped tweeting the queen or something, like some shit, <laughs> like you racist piece of shit die or something. <laughs> I think that's how people talk about her, I'm sure. But she is now picking on somebody her own size, which is aka the Queen of England, you know? <laughs> this sounds like a good movie that you should definitely write, Kiki. Trademarked immediately. Yeah, but. and in this timeline, though, I want Twitter to be referred to as shitter. That's definitely what okay. it's called in the alternative <laughs> universe. Yeah, no, I believe in this idea. 
So yeah, so to talk about Chrissy, so she, to go back kind of into the Sports Illustrated thing. So again, so many things that when I think about them, like Sports Illustrated is a really interesting magazine because it's about sports, but... That's called Sports Illustrated, but there's literally just like a beautiful supermodel on the cover of it. And it's sort of like a playmate of the year, almost like a comparison. Like you can kind of like see how those live in the same world. It's like this big acclaim. And if you get the Sports Illustrated kind of rookie of the year or like the cover, like you've made it. That's it, right? But another portion of being a Sports Illustrated model is that it isn't always like that sort of like wayfish model kind of like paradigm. It's usually very much like, you know, like big titties and big and a big boobies and a big butts. I said that like I, there's five years old in the room. Yeah. These models got to get like implants, which, you know, other models like do not get to get. No, 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 no. So she basically lands this coveted spot and her modeling career is kind of taking off. And this is in 2010. So this is kind of like we're right here arriving on time for when she's kind of like joining Twitter. Um, even though she joins a couple of years before that, she really is just sort of like probably like you and I on Twitter or Facebook in 2008, which is just like updates on how like our head hurts or like, you know, I don't know. We just woke up like very, like we took status updates, like actually literally at that point in time, we didn't know it could be a platform to fame you guys. Yeah. I I updated my status (laughs) on what I was doing at any moment. And I feel like, I feel like uh, like it was like updating some like doctor who was reading it. Cause my first Facebook post was my hand hurts. And I got two likes, and I'm not sure if they support that. Like, are you for that, or are you just being like, "Mm, I see it? I don't know. Well, well, I'll have to talk to these people. Yeah, (laughs) track them down. What about you, Kiki? What were? Do you remember what you were posting in 2008, 2010? Well, so you know, I was go. I was trying to get to the beginning of my Facebook feed. I was really. I was really active on Facebook, more active than I thought. And I probably need to take a look at that because I didn't realize how active I was. I only made it back to like 2011. So I was like sort of like in there and I was like kind of seeing who I was in 2011. And I was like, oh, I I was like... I wasn't great. I had like, I was in like a toxic relationship. Um, I, I, that was the year that I discovered that my the love of my life, Benicio del Toro had uh, knocked up Kimberly Stewart. So I was very upset about that. Like, uh, this is who I was in that time. But like, kind of before that, I mean, I think I was still in a toxic, I was just in a toxic relationship pretty much from like that moment. So I didn't like, yeah, I was a different person. Hey, Kiki, I'm sorry. That sucks. <laughs> it did. Um, that You were sequestered from real life and yourself during that time. It did, I was. But, but it, I did get cats. And that was when I got my cats, who I oh, still have yeah. now. And they're the only part of that toxic relationship that has carried on and made me happy. So good things happen. <laughs> good things did happen. I... um. I definitely have a problem with celebrities that I'm attracted to having partners and girlfriends. I want to just right off the bat agree with you. So I can remember since I was a teenager looking up like Eric Von Den, girlfriend, Brad Pitt, girlfriend. Um, like, I'm like, who are they dating? Bo Burnham, girlfriend. Who is he dating? I need to know. And then I feel worse if they are dating somebody. Not a lot worse. I do. Just a little I worse. Feel really, yeah, I feel terrible when they're yeah. dating someone else. Even even uh, if you've never cared about them, really, it's no. just the fact that they're now not available. You're like, mm-hmm. I need wow. this to stop. 
How dare you? Okay, so I want to talk about kind of this next piece, you know? So uh, Chrissy has kind of always talked about the fact that she's been more into food, that she's been into modeling. So after this kind of Sports Illustrated uh, cover comes up, she starts her blog, and it's a food blog. And she, I mean, recipes include cacha de pepe, which is her favorite. Um, this is me going deep into these recipes. Um, and they're good. They're good, you guys. I've tried three or four Chrissy Teigen recipes. Oh, I've made Chrissy Teigen recipes for the past, like, couple of years. Oh, wow. Um, Highlights are her miso carbonara. Go ahead and go try it. You don't need to support her financially. You can just look up the recipe and just cook it for yourself. You're taking, not giving, you know? Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. People love to pretend that there are simple formulas for living your best life now. Eat this and you won't get sick. Manifest it and everything will work out. But there are some things you can choose and some things you can't. And it's okay that life isn't always getting better. I'm Kate Bowler, and on Everything Happens, I speak with kind, smart, funny people about life as it really is. Beautiful, terrible, and everything in between. Let's be human together. Everything Happens is available wherever you get your podcasts. So I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about her next steps. So she's kind of like started to date John Legend, mm -hmm. which is a really sort of interesting thing. Um, do you guys know about her relationship with John Legend? I know it started in 2006 with um, their music video that she was on. She sort of got hired to do that. But I would love kind of your interpretation of the John Legend relationship. I mean, to be honest, so this is okay. So this is kind of random. Like Chrissy sort of came on my radar it was around 2011, 2012, I think right after she had gotten engaged, I had gone to this restaurant on the Bowery in New York City that had just opened. And I sat down, and you know, as most New York City restaurants, it's dark inside. There's never enough light. We're in the dark. And I'm with my friend, and she's like, Chrissy Teigen's sitting next to us. Now, I like knew who Chrissy Teigen was, but like, I don't know. She didn't like, she didn't like, I didn't know her like that. I knew that she was with John Legend and like that, and she was a model and that was like about it. And then I remember my friend saying, oh, I hate her. <laughs> and I was like, why? And I don't really remember her giving me like a real answer. Like, mm -hmm. and the only context I had to go off was this, my friend of like forever not liking this 
girl. And obviously, as as a loyal friend, as a Sagittarian loyal friend I am, I'm like, well, then I guess I have to hate her too. Like, you know, she doesn't like her. And so, and I knew she lived on the Bowery, like across from this restaurant. And that was really all I knew of her. But then again, like as she started like becoming more popular on social media, well, then I was like, well, maybe you're wrong about her. I, I, I kind of I kinda like her. So I'm going to go against you. But I don't know. I didn't really, I knew they were a couple, but I didn't think about them too much because she was really kind of independent at that point. By the time I learned about her, she was so mm-hmm. independent of him. Yeah. I think for me, it was more backwards because I've only like knew who she was or knew of her when I started like a Twitter account in 2015. So I only knew her Twitter self. And then I was like, oh, she used to be a model. Oh, she also into, oh, she's also married to John Legend. So I like, I had to do like a full, like, you know, just go back in history to learn who that person is. Because all I saw of her was just she was verified and she had a lot of tweets. She would like tweet about everything. And people, I don't know when people started calling her the mayor of Twitter, which should be in the signal that this is not going to end well. Uh, <laughs> I guess I guess she was voted out eventually. I think that's what happened. But uh, yeah, that's all I knew of her, even though like, I knew who John Legend is, but I like, never made the connection. Got it. Yeah, I I definitely knew that they were kind of dating. And by the way, guys, I purposefully stopped following celebrities because I truly was obsessed with them up until like a few years ago. And I was like, oh, how this is unhealthy. Like, you don't need to know what their shoe size is. Like, you don't need to know these innocuous things about these people that don't matter. But now I'm back, baby. And um, so I knew about John Legend and I both delighted and also hated his music but this is a, a an alternate an, another alternate timeline where <laughs> i love it but um for me in particular one of the most interesting things i found out about the relationship was that they were like playing games you guys like and i just loved to kind of hear about it because they both sort of talked about it separately but she mentioned that they kind of like kind of hooked up so it was like very casual at the beginning and then she purposefully for a whole year did not have the what are we conversation because she on purpose basically didn't want to push him away. So she's wanting to have this conversation. This is a classic, classic scenario, you guys. She's like, I was so <laughs> jealous. I wanted to like nail this person down. Like I wanted him to be for me, but he was just like flighty and dating other people and like on tour. And John on the other side of that was saying that he was just very kind of casually dating, that he slowly fell in love with her based on the fact that she was so funny and she just kind of kept him entertained over Twitter. And Mm -hmm. I just, I want to let you guys know, this is what women have to deal with all the goddamn time, okay? All the goddamn time. I'm tired of the scenario. If you've got a person that you like, tell them to find that shit immediately. And if they're not down, get the hell out. And honestly, I will say this scenario does not um, boister my opinion on this because they did eventually end up getting married. (laughs) But I mean, this is like a tale as old as time. Like they are literally just sort of like gaming each other into a marriage, into a relationship. But I figured that this is kind of what happens all the time with celebrities and famous people. Uh, Question to the both of you. Have you ever not had the conversation when you were supposed to have the conversation about what this is, you know? 
I think I think I've never really done that. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm on the side of just being like, okay, what is this? You know, at the end of like the first date. <laughs> Got it. Just right then and there. And be like, so what? Like, what are like what are what what is this? What's happening here? Like, and I when I say the end of the first, date, that just depends. Sometimes it's at the beginning. Uh, just like mm-hmm. before we go. <laughs> no, no. Seriously though, like I feel like like just early on because I feel like I. I am like an anxious person, so I'm like I just want to know what's what's happening here. Just get it like over with, so I don't have to think about it when I go home. Yeah, and it's not that like I don't have the con- I just don't have the conversation because I just I don't think I typically have these conversations because I want us to both be pretty free birds. It's kind of how I've always lived. So um, maybe I should have had more conversations. But- no, Kiki. No, no you day by day, honey. <laughs> You just like don't even think about the next forty eight hours. Just think about that moment that you're in. <laughs> Honestly, it's an honor. Do you do you need to infect other people with this ability that you have? Um, because I'm Mohan, and I know you were joking, but I'm more of like a gay again gay. You know, the LGBTQ community has mm. like a a real um, monopoly on commitment. So I need. Do you like me? Why do you like me? Have you ever dated a fat person before? Those are like my top three questions. And <laughs> right if the answer the is no to any of the, oh, right off the bat, have you ever dated a fat person before? Oh, absolutely. I don't want to be the first one. Are you kidding me? Uh-uh. That's too much pressure. No, you're right. I I, I will say, I, I like, if I'm dating on apps, I'll be like, have you ever dated a black girl before? So you're, I, I do do that. You're right. <laughs> um, but anyways, that is what Chrissy Teigen and John Legend are doing. They're orbiting each other and not telling each other what the next step is so that to me is just sublime so to kind of fast forward they're getting married they're sort of like in Italy they have this kind of like whirlwind romance at the end of it and at the same time all this stuff is happening like she's on Twitter she's doing all the things that we like don't want her to be doing she's like kind of putting her insecurities out there on other people at the same time we're bullying rebecca black and we're also like sheen is self-destructing and like this is the this is the kind of era that we're in at this point um while john legend and chrissy teigen are together so again it's it's such an interesting time because we have social media but we don't even know that we're in the chaos yet we're just Mm. like experimenting with saying things like my hand hurts and assuming that there's going to be no consequences to it. At least now we know there's consequences after kind of a decade. But, um, but yeah, I don't even know like when we, like, I don't remember the time I found out that someone said, Oh, you know, the internet's forever. Cause when we started the internet, I don't think I was warned that everything that went on the internet was forever. That was something found out later. Like all these new generations realize that, but like I didn't realize that for maybe the first few years. Yeah, and I th- I don't think it's even like the internet was. F- I I feel like that came up when like social media became a thing. Like s- someone should have been like social media is forever, and I feel like the because like based on the way people like used to tweet and stuff like that, usually the tweets the this the bad stuff that comes out they're always from the same timeline. It's always between. 2011, 2014. And I feel like as of 2014, someone was like, hey guys, maybe let's watch out what we're saying here. <laughs> and everyone started becoming way more careful. Because like, I don't think anyone has been canceled for something they've said in like 2017 
or like 2018, like a tweet from that time. I feel like people became like more aware. But if you go to 2011, I think everyone was insane back then. It was definitely like the Wild West for sure. Everything was acceptable. I mean, I like I said, I was like looking through my like 2011, like who I was. And my friends and I, we said the R word to each other a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Like <laughs> it was just okay. And I'm like, I can't even say that word now. Like I'm so, but yeah, it was just normal. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, good luck to anyone who want to go through my 2011 stuff. They were all written in Arabic, so <laughs> I will deny it, and I'd be like, wrong translation, no matter what you find. So, yeah, it is what it is. That's wild. I, I did read recently that uh, Chrissy deleted 60,000 tweets. That's the actual number. And I was like, that's too many. Here's what I'll say about that. You know, if you go, because like... Y- you, you can like subscribe to one of those like apps or something that would delete your tweets for you, you so you don't have to do it yourself. And I think the second you go to the app and you hit like delete all of my tweets or like let's say delete like specific years or something and you see the number 60,000 tweets, I feel like right there you should be like, yeah, I have a problem. I need to stop. <laughs> well, yeah, like, okay, if you tweeted, let's say five times an hour for like 12 hours a day, how long does it take you to even get to, I don't have a calculator. I'm just trying to figure out how it, like, it take, how long it takes you to even get to 60,000 Impossible. Tweets. Impossible. It, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I, like from 2015 up to today, I looked at, at it and it was like maybe like 3K. Maybe it's tweets that other people had tweeted at her as well mm. and not just things that she's posted. Because the main thing is um, she was talking about it when all this like kind of her, her in a confrontation between Trump happened that she was so visible in the platform that people were constantly subtweeting her and tweeting at her. So I have a feeling it's a combination of both things that she's tweeted and then also things that people have tweeted at her. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. Sorry. I, I, not to uh because i am on twitter so much and deuce do not count (laughs) it only counts the ones because you cannot delete them you can't delete other people replies and twitter if you're listening please let me delete other people replies i want to do that i don't want them under my tweets i hate them anyway she really tweeted sixty thousand times and like maybe some of these tweets were like replies to other people but that's still a lot like that's so much of you there no one needs to to get 60k of you and your opinions and your sentences out there it's just insane to me i don't even talk 60,000 words a week i guess yeah that's pretty amazing yeah that that feels like a like somebody should have had an intervention like when she even had to say that out loud like john should have been like you know what let's have a talk I did some prelim numbers here while we were talking. And over the course of five years, basically, um, it would take something like 18 tweets an hour or something like that. So if you cross it over 10 years, it might be half of that. Um, And let me – and you know what? I'm going to go back and I'm going to do it again. Just check my math on that, you guys. (laughs) I went to a a, liberal arts school, so who knows? But that seems, if, if that number's right, that seems completely, yeah, doable. I'll say if you tweet yeah. more than like three times a day, then that's that's an issue. Like you shouldn't tweet yeah. more than that a day, like let alone an hour. 
What do you guys know about, because in my mind, I think of it as like, oh, okay, there's somebody who has like a social media addiction. And what does that really look like? Because, I mean, is addiction defined sort of as this thing that, you know, anything that you do excessively that kind of like causes you harm or that like interferes with you living kind of like your life happily. And I wonder how much of Chrissy Teigen is like, I have to sound off. I have to have an opinion on this. I have to like be a part of the zeitgeist tonight. And she gets so much value and so much feedback from the internet that she feels like she has to stay active. I mean, even in the way that she talks where she's like, I've missed you. I'm like, who the hell are you talking about? Chrissy Teigen. Yeah. I mean, the, the serotonin that you get, cause I can feel it, right? Like if you go viral, right? Like the serotonin you get when you get a bunch of followers and you know, like we were talking about her past, like she has gotten a lot of rejection. And so like in this world where she's now accepted and not only accepted, but she's like queen of, yeah. I mean, I I could I could easily fall into that trap. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like you hear no so much and to have an army of people just saying yes to everything you put out there, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense that these people are just like in a way like worship you. And yeah. it's it's I mean, do you want to like give up on that and just go back to whatever like your kids who are, I don't know, I don't know what her kids are like or like her life maybe people don't like appreciate her enough or she doesn't feel that way so she has to find those people like who are like exist on the internet who will just agree with everything well john is an egot you know holder so it's just like your your husband is an egot and like you have this so like yeah i could see there'd be like a little bit of like i want my own thing and it feels good so yeah and at this point just to talk about kind of her height so 2018 and 19, she is like truly blowing up on Twitter. So this is kind of the moment where um, kind of the Trump thing happens. And she's sort of talking about the positives and the negatives of it as well. And again, her being in a comeback queen, he called John Legend boring and then called Chrissy Teigen a filthy mouthed wife. And then Teigen responded again with a tweet so sublime that to me, that's like canon at this point, which is like, LOL, what a pussy ass bitch to Trump. (laughs) And it's like, Tagged everybody but me, an honor, Mr. President. John has an EGOT. They're being profiled in Vanity Fair. Like, this girl is getting attention. And she's getting, like, to me, YouTubers don't make it to this level. Influencers Mm -hmm. don't make it to this level. This is, like, A-list celebrity, like, top-tier celebrity. And she's she's a model. She's like hosting like the lip sync battle show, you know, like she's, she's in this realm that I don't think honestly, anybody else has actually achieved from where she's kind of coming from, you Mm -hmm. know, like that transition from influencer or, or social media celebrity to real life celebrity is still very clunky. And so for me, uh, uh, this is also the time where Tegan gets asked to host that high-profile nighttime talk show. So NBC is basically like, hey, we want you to host a late-night talk show. This is the position that ended up going to mm-hmm. Lily Singh um, okay. that, later that year. So this is like the height of her kind of popularity. And at this point, she gets offered this and she turns it down. And um, she says about that, It's just too much attention and focus on me. It's almost like the more things that you do, the closer you are to getting canceled. She said, it's so scary to me to have the world turn on you and hate you. And I genuinely, when I put myself in her shoes, 
she knows that this shit is out there. Like she Mm -hmm. knows what she's done. And like probably a lot of people who are very famous, they're just sort of like, you know, that penny you put in malls and it just sort of like circles and circles and circles and get until it goes to the very center. Like, I feel like it's just a matter of time before we discover this stuff. And I think she knows that at this point, Mm -hmm. but she probably also thinks that if she can get, to a high enough status, like, maybe it won't be as big of a deal, like, you know? Yeah, and and, and I mean, yeah, I feel like if you know there's, like, something and you know people will look for it, and you know what positions you can take, like, what work you can take in the industry where people will do that, I feel like if you want to host a show, people will 100% do that, like, once you're given an opportunity, and I feel like that's, for example, like, when someone, like, gets, you know, like, gets to be on SNL, for example, they would, like, immediately delete everything because they know the next step will be someone going through all of their tweets and i feel like that's the same with chrissy she knows the next step and i feel like she's been avoiding that you know just like kind of like dancing around it and i feel like it's hard to go like to get ahead of it because like if you try to get ahead of it sometimes maybe you will actually activate something and then it will yeah. come back and like haunt you. So there's just like such a tough decision to make. But most people can get ahead of it because most people don't have 60,000 tweets. Like True. I can go through my phone right now and delete everything out of my social media and it would take me maybe a couple hours, right? She probably knew like, oh, this is like, I can't, I don't know what to do. And probably can't even can't even remember all of these people like from 2011 and just like literally just like tweeting at everyone. And And once you DM somebody, you don't know where that goes. It's like, again, the idea of, to me, like reaching into somebody's DMs to say something is crazy to me, you know? Um, I I still think that people were, were still like, don't understand, you know, like when we're growing up and you don't know where your body ends because you're like bumping into shit or whatever, you just have it gotten used to the effect that you can have on the physical world around you. I feel like the same thing happens when you are online. Like you don't actually know the effects and the consequences that you're having on the things around you physically. And I mean, we've had that conversation, all of us in our homes, with our family members, with our friends of like, people feel like they control because there's a barrier. But I think that is what social media does. It physically imposes in people's lives like the consequences of the effects that they hadn't actually been able to feel up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like painful to be ostracized. Like I, it's physically painful to be hated or to be talked shit about. Absolutely. And um, it is honestly like the last consequence for celebrities and politicians because it's so hard to reach them otherwise. It's so hard to make them pay for the bullshit that they do, but this is something that they can't avoid. So it's just so effective. But yeah, so to to kind of finish up here on Chrissy and to kind of like take us into kind of where we are now. So, um, you know, Chrissy is really at the height of her popularity and she's bringing attention to a lot of like valid sort of like things like she talks about her postpartum depression she talks about you know being a woman in the industry i feel like she uses her platform to talk about the things that sort of matter to her and i feel like at this point we're all sort of like team team tegan we're all team chrissy you know and for for a reason i think that she's sort of like 
reminding us that it's fun to be on Twitter, but that you also have this platform and you can provide opportunities and voices to things. And that's why I think it was almost like the highest fall from grace because Mm -hmm. she's at this pivotal point where we're like tender for Chrissy. Like I genuinely remember the post about her, her pregnancy complications and her miscarriage. And I was just like, fuck, you know, I had never really thought about that as a person who doesn't have kids. And, um, and then kind of pivoting that into, her getting so much negative feedback online. I was like, fuck Chrissy, you need to quit Twitter. You need to, you need to take a break, honey. You need to go. And then that's kind of when Courtney Stodden pops up. And then we kind of, we kind of know what happens from there. Okay. So we're going to hold off right here, but next episode, we're going to get into the downfall. The queen loses her crown. Why does it happen? I can't wait to get into this deep dive. Thanks so much, everyone. We will see you next week to talk more about Chrissy and her downfall. I'm Sorry is a Lemonada Media original. The show is produced by Alex McCohen. Supervising producer is Chrissy Pease. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer. Our mix is by Kat Yore, and theme music was composed by Xander Singh. If you like this show, please rate and review. And please don't cancel us. You can find out more about our show at Lemonada Media on all social platforms or follow us on Instagram at I'm sorry underscore podcast. We'll be back next week. And until then, be nice, play fair and always say I'm sorry. Thanks for listening. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere and suddenly you're, you're panic sweating, you're laughing and maybe a little, little bit of tears are coming all at once? Don't worry, we all do. That's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people and we, we want to talk about it. So join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrushed are out now. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Elise Myers. I'm a content creator and comedian. You might know me from TikTok. Why am I in your ears right now? Well, that's a great question. I would love to tell you. I have a new podcast called Funny Because It's True. On my show, I'll be interviewing comedians, pop culture icons, and also just people I find really funny. We'll be talking about the awkward moments that keep you awake at night. Because if you don't laugh, you cry, right? (laughs) Okay, funny because it's true. Out now wherever you get your podcasts.